Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. You're listening to the sixth part of our series, Soul Care. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax. Here it is. I want to begin in 1 Peter today. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, it says, As you come to him, speaking to Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, see I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never, someone shout never, never. be put to shame. I want to call uh, this message today and it is the sixth and final of our series, Soul Care, Healthy Church, Healthy Church. Can we just clap our hands one more time? You guys can find a seat this morning. So glad that you could be here today. And hey, as we just get the lights on in the back, um, just why don't you guys say hello to someone beside you? Just say welcome to church this morning. So glad that you could be here. Come on, what's up, 9.30 a.m., so glad you guys woke up early today. Let's go, you guys are so much more blessed than 11 o'clock, but we don't tell 11 o'clock that. Uh, Hey, uh, we are, as I said, finishing a series called Soul Care. Can you guys let me know, just by some noise, who has been here for this series so far? Did you guys enjoy it? Anyone sad it's coming to an end? Happy it's coming to an end, maybe, who knows? Uh, So... Uh, This series, what we have been doing, pretty simply, we just believe that Jesus wants us to be healthy and whole. And the way that we become healthy and whole is through the maintenance, if you want to use car language, of our souls. Our souls need maintenance in spiritual language. Our souls need to be sanctified. Jesus wants us to be healthy and whole, but the process is a journey to get there. It's not a one-time thing. It's not raising our hands. It's a process that takes a lifetime. And so every week in this series, we've been diving into different uh, principles on how to be healthy, how to be healthy in relationships, how to be healthy in our foundations, so on and so forth. Um, Every message is online. You can go and catch up if you would like to see the rest of the series. But First four weeks of this series, we were really looking inward. They were introspective messages, trying to go deep down inside of us in order to get healthy. Last week and this week, we're not so much looking inward, but we're looking outward. Because as, as, as necessary as it is to work on stuff within us, it's only as valuable as what comes outside of us, right? And so last week, we looked at healthy relationships, uh, and again, If you missed it, go check it out. Today, what I want to do is I want to look at another thing outside of us, which would be the church in which we are all hopefully a part of. um, If you're not yet a part of the body of Jesus, what are you waiting for? Come on, somebody. But we'll uh, we'll get to that as we go along. Uh, And I just, one of the things that we said in this series, especially when it comes to looking outside of ourselves and how God um, helps us 
outside of just the Holy Spirit and him. But God gives us, I believe, two institutions that help form us and can help us in our spiritual, relational, emotional health. And I believe those two things that God gives us are, number one, the family, and number two, the church. The two ways in which I believe in God's design we are primarily to be formed is, number one, through our families, and number two, through the church. And so the way in which we get healthy is through these two mediums. Now, at the same time, I believe that we have an enemy, and the devil hates two things in particular. He hates the family, and he hates church. And so he's doing anything in his power to destroy families and to destroy the church. And so, for as I believe as necessary as healthy families are and healthy churches are, I would wager to guess that most of us, in terms of if we've ever been hurt before, the two primarily, primary places we are hurt is in the family and in the church. And uh, I don't want to give the devil too much credit, because some of y'all, like the devil didn't mess up your family, <laughs> you messed up your family. <laughs> so like, he's not God. Uh, and same thing with church, wasn't the devil, was a bad leader, right, whatever it may be. And, and so I think that I want to preface, because I know for a lot of us, if I say that the, the primary way that God helps us through the family and through the church, a lot of us, family and church equates to pain. Um, but what I do want to say is that our shortcomings don't change God's strategies. And so what I mean by that is that God still is using the family, and God is still using the church. And so today... I'm not so much speaking about our families in terms of relationally speaking, but I want to hone in on the church because I believe that the church is God's medium to reach the world. I believe that there is no backup plan in terms of how God plans to establish his kingdom. It is through the church. Come on, somebody. And so today what I want to do is I want to show us what does a healthy church look like? What does it look like and what is my role within a healthy church? And if you're someone that's like um, a part of our church and you call this place home, um, I'm hoping today is a roadmap to show us where we need to go as a church. This is what we need to do if we want to be healthy. If you're in like the shopping phase, you're looking for a church, then take these three points um, and apply them to a place that you hope to find home. Does that make sense? So today, healthy church, that's what we're going to do. How does it function? What's my role in it? And then soul care is complete. You guys ready? All right, let's do it. First Peter chapter 2. Um, starting a little context, book of Peter was written by the apostle Peter. And uh, Peter, if you don't know who he is, follower of Jesus. Uh, in the early church, like Peter would have been not just a apostle, but like the apostle. Uh, if you guys have been in church, I, I read a lot of Paul, and if, if you notice in Paul's Gospels, a lot of times, like, he kind of has to defend who he is. He's like, listen, I'm an apostle. Trust me, called by Jesus. Uh, Peter never has to do that. Everyone knows who Peter is. When Peter spoke, people listened. He's like the apostle. He is the one that Jesus said, I'm going to build the church on you. He's the rock. And so in this letter, specifically the part we're looking at today, Peter, I believe, gives us a very simple formula for what a healthy church looks like. And so in verse 4, he says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. Now, I'm cutting it off mid-sentence because when it comes to healthy church, we can't go any further than this. 
This is the very essence of what a healthy church looks like. It is when Jesus is the living stone. Jesus is the cornerstone. So I can't go farther than this today. It's super simple, but a healthy church is a church where Jesus is the foundation. This is the absolute starting point for what a healthy church looks like. Jesus must be the foundation. If he isn't the foundation, it doesn't matter what happens anywhere else. The church will fail. If Jesus is not the foundation of the building, the carpet and the drapes can look really nice, but it will fail. The foundation is everything. There's a couple that I know, um, I would never name them by name, but my sister and brother-in-law, last year, they built, uh, <laughs> they built a brand new house, and uh, the, the, the company that they went with uh, and the builder, a little bit sketch. Like, literally, like, they build the house and shut down their business, because, like, they're crooks. And so, uh, there's kind of this, this running joke that happens within my family that, like, uh, as, you, as they dig into, like, the bones of their house, like, you never know what you're going to find. Like, we do, and so, and I don't know if it's, like, <laughs> if it's reality or, like, something in their head, but my, my, my sister and my brother-in-law, they claim, like, when it gets really windy, like, that their house is literally shaking. And, like, you, you guys may not know this, but um, Alberta, actually, we get, like, earthquakes. Did you guys know that? Now, most of them are very, like, like small, and you can't really feel them. Um, these guys have felt every earthquake <laughs> in the last two years. Um, and so... We hope that we're just joking. We hope it's just like a big running joke. But the point is, they have a beautiful house. It looks really nice. But if the foundation isn't solid, it doesn't matter. Now again, Lord willing, pray for them. It's a solid foundation. It's more, of a, it's more of a running joke in our family than anything. But you guys see what I'm saying? So when it comes to a church, it doesn't matter what the ministries look like, what the messages look like. If Jesus isn't the foundation, nothing else matters. And a lot of times when it comes to church, we ask the wrong questions first. They're not just, they're not the wrong questions in general. It's just questions that we ask first. We say things like, well, how's the kids ministry here? Well, how's the coffee here? Like, are you guys like, are you guys more like expressive in worship or are you more like sit down? Like what, what, what's the, the culture? And, and these are, these are good questions Important questions, but they're not the first question we need to ask when it comes to church. The very first question we need to ask is who and what is this church built on? Because if it's not built on Jesus, nothing else matters. There can be a water slide in kids' ministry. <laughs> Justin Bieber can lead worship. It doesn't matter if Jesus isn't the foundation. Now, here's the truth. Most Christian churches, if not all, would say like, well, of course, we're built on Jesus, like pretty foundational. And so the question is then like, well, how do I actually know if a church is built on Jesus? Like how do, how do we know? Because like, you look at our culture, look at our DNA, in our, in our values, the very first thing that we say is Jesus is the center. That's a piece of paper. Like how do we actually know that Jesus is the foundation? And I'm gonna help us in church, but I'm gonna also help us in our lives. How do I know that Jesus is my foundation. Can I give us a simple formula? 
This isn't exhaustive, it's not the only thing, but it's a really easy bookmark to help us know, like, is my life centered on Jesus? Is he the foundation of my life? And when it comes to our church, is he the foundation? Super simple formula. Does the church fear man or fear the Lord? In my life, do I fear man or fear the Lord? In other words, what drives the church to do what they do? Do we do what we do because of other people? Listen, do we do what we do even to reach people? Or do we do what we do because we have a deep reverence and respect for the Lord Jesus Christ? And there is a difference. Proverbs chapter nine says this. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Look at this. The fear of the Lord is the what? The beginning. It's not the end of wisdom, it's the beginning of wisdom. Meaning this, if you don't fear the Lord, you're not actually wise. You're like, Harrison, I have a philosophy degree. If you don't fear the Lord, you actually don't have wisdom. That's what it's saying. It's saying knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. It's true understanding. Now, some of us are like, well, what is fear of the Lord? Like, uh, I'll put your mind at ease. Fear of the Lord is not being afraid of God. It's not just, I'm, I'm just afraid of this dude. Because if I'm afraid of God, that means that I'll never run to God. I'll always run away from God. But I want you to understand something that's really important. And unbelievers get this better than believers. If you aren't in an intimate relationship with Jesus, you need to be afraid of the Lord. That's why, like, you guys have, like, maybe non-Christian friends that have said things like, I don't want to go to church. Like, if I go there, I will burn up. Like, no, thank you. You didn't realize this, but some of your unbelievers have a greater fear of the Lord than we do as believers because they understand intrinsically, like, I don't know if this dude's to be messed around with. So it's not to be afraid of him because if I'm in relationship, Jesus has done something, and I'll get to that. But what a fear of the Lord is, I'll give you a simple de definition. It is having a deep respect and reverence for the awe of God's power and authority. So... I'm not scared of him, but I do revere him. I do look at him with awe and mighty and, and wow and wonder. The, the best illustration I could think of, and you guys can tell me if this falls short, but it's almost like a roller coaster. Like, roller coasters are like pretty crazy. Like they're like loops and the powers and the G-force, all that stuff. Like if you ever get into it, like it's legitimate engineers that build these things. And we go on them for fun, right? And like they are fun and they can cause us great joy. But at the end of the day, whether we know it consciously or subconsciously, we actually have somewhat of a respect for a roller coaster. There's no one I've ever met that went on a roller coaster and the person said, hey, put your seatbelt on. And they said, nah. Like, I think I probably know better than this roller coaster. No, they have a deep respect and awe of what that thing can do. So I want you to understand something, especially if you view God as like a jealous boyfriend. He ain't your boyfriend. God is 100% holy, and he is to be revered. And I want you to understand this. God is not 100% safe. Roller coasters are not 100% safe, especially the one at West Edmonton Mall. It's just not. And neither is God. And if anyone has told you otherwise, I want to correct you a little bit. I don't need to be afraid of him, but I need to have a respect and an awe of him. 
because if I don't, I'll never actually be able to worship him. And so a healthy church and a healthy Christian, it can't go any further than someone or some group of people that has a deep fear of the Lord. And so a healthy church, you need to understand this. We're not looking to win the approval of people. We want the approval of God. A healthy believer doesn't care so much what others think of them as opposed to what God thinks of them. And if God is not pleased with the church, then we are not pleased with what anyone else would say. If the coffee's on point, but the Lord is not revered, we've missed the point. Do you guys see what I'm saying? And so here's the thing, because a lot of us, when it comes to even this, this broader question, why do we come to church? Because I, I want to bring this back. Like, why do we actually come to church? And you can spin in your head, like, as I ask that question, like, why do you come to church? Now, for a lot of us, maybe it's like, well, you know, it's free coffee. Well, I get to see my friends. Like, I like, you know, the message. Well, like, we're a church that does evangelism. It's just the generous people. Now, listen, like, we do all of those things. We serve coffee. We do evangelism. There's life-giving messages every single week. But at the very foundation of why we come to church, it needs to be rooted in this idea of the fear of the Lord. Because if God is as great as we believe he is, it means that when we come together corporately, our primary purpose is to worship him. So listen, the church primarily exists to worship. That is the number one reason in which we exist. Now, it's not the only reason. No one misunderstand me. Some of y'all are tripping already. But it is the primary reason. And so listen to this. If we do great evangelism, if we have a really fun kids ministry, if the messages seem kind of cool because the pastor seems kind of cool, thank you. <laughs> but the church doesn't have a deep culture of worship. We're not existing in the function in which we are supposed to exist. Because the fear of the Lord always leads to worship. And so a church that fears the Lord will worship the Lord. Are you guys following? Worship comes from a healthy and biblical fear of the Lord, of his awe, of his splendor, of his majesty. I love Psalm 100. Look what it says. Verse 1, it says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Come on, somebody. This is for you, Sid. This is for you, Zoe, because you're leading 11 o'clock. Shout to the Lord. When we sing breakthrough is coming, it's not breakthrough is coming. It's breakthrough is coming. And that you guys probably won't be here at 11 o'clock, so that's why I'm talking to them. We're going to shout to the Lord, worship the Lord with gladness, come before him with joyful songs. We come here with joy. We're not sad. Jesus has won the victory. Come on, somebody. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Therefore, enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good. And his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. So listen to this. The fear of the Lord, the awe of who he is, it will always lead us to worship. 
And if you're like, how do I worship? Read the Bible. It's very clear. There's a whole bunch of different expressions of worship, but all of them involve exactly that expression. How you express yourself doesn't matter as much as are you expressing yourself. Because we're all different, right? Some of y'all, like, you're not going to be shouting crazy screams. Totally cool. But if you're not expressing something, that's okay. That's totally fine. But it's revealing something inside of you. That maybe you're not at a place where you fully quite yet understand the greatness of God. Because I have a really simple thought, but greatness always results in praise. Greatness always results in praise. Now, I myself, I'm not like an overly expressive person uh, in general, but like I'm a sports fan, and uh, I was at um, a hockey game a few weeks ago. You guys ever been to a hockey game before? Um, Or any sporting event. One thing that like I just can't stand above all in sporting events is on the, on the jumbotron when it says make some noise. You guys seen that? I can't stand that. If you sit with me, I'll look up, I'll read it, and I'll say, no, thank you, I will not make noise. <laughs> no one tells me what to do. That's just, that's my, that's my demeanor. And I say that story because I know for some of us, when I come to church and I say, let's make some noise, some of us are like, no, 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 that's not what I will do. You do not tell me what to do. And I get it, because I don't want to be told what to do either. But there's a guy on the Oilers. His name's Connor McDavid. And I I just happen to believe he he may be one of the greatest players ever. In my lifetime, greatest player I've ever seen. The Oilers played the Bruins three, four weeks back. And I'm a Bruins fan, first and foremost. And so I went to the game wearing a Boston Bruins jersey. Connor McDavid plays for the Edmonton Oilers. I like the Oilers too. So I'm in a Bruins jersey at the Oilers game. And McDavid scored a really nice goal. Like most of his goals are pretty sick. And something happened inside of me. Even though I wasn't necessarily cheering for them. I stood up in my Bruins jersey and I'm cheering (laughs) for the goal. And I didn't care what anyone thought about me. I didn't care if they thought I was lost. I was witnessing greatness. Do you guys see what I'm saying? Greatness elicits a response. Now, I want you to hear something. Connor McDavid is really good at holding a twig and playing with a vulcanized piece of rubber. He's 26 years old, and he's kind of socially awkward. If he wants to be my friend, I'll be his friend, though. but he has the ability to elicit something inside of me. You want to know what he's done for me personally? Nothing. (laughs) Ever. But do you want to know the God that we serve? He is the God literally that spoke the world into existence. Out of his mouth came everything that is around us. I'm just getting started. He's the beginning and he is the end. He is the alpha and he is the omega. Listen to this. The one who created the lamb has also created the roar of the lion. He exists outside of time and outside of space. He has created you and he has created me and above all, the greatest creation, the woman. Most specifically, my wife. Come on somebody. Jesus 
And so when I understand the grandeur of who he is and what he's done, there's only one response. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Thank you, Jesus. I don't care what it looks like, but I can't keep my mouth shut. Come on, I never heard a whistle before. Let's go, though. And if you don't want to praise, Jesus says, it's cool. The rocks will cry out. Something's going to make noise. But I can't worship him if I don't fear him. If I don't have that great awe and wonder. If I forget all that he's done. And so I got, I got a, a simple idiom. Because I think we kind of live in this place where it's like, well, what we believe doesn't really matter. No, it matters greatly. Here's my, my, my thought. Bad theology leads to bad worship. Good theology leads to good worship. And so a church that has bad theology, no matter what they think, they'll always have bad worship. But a church that has good theology will have good worship because we worship in spirit and in truth. It's not one or the other. The spirit leads us to truth. And so I talked about the grandeur and the goodness of God and, and, and just the might. And if you read the book of Job, like there's like a whole chapter where it's just like he goes even deeper than that in terms of how great he is. But I, I didn't even speak about the fact that God loved us so much that he wanted to spend eternity not apart from us but with us. And so he came down in the flesh, incarnate in his son, Jesus, who died for our sins, who died a sinner's death, who took my place, who bore my shame, who bore my sin. And that should, if I understand it fully, that's just the spark notes I gave you, it should elicit a response. And to the church, you guys following, its primary function is to worship. And if we, if we don't live in that, we've missed the point. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. It's kind of long, but I want to read it because I think for a lot of us, maybe we like Jesus intellectually. Like, ah, he said some great things. I love what he says about loving people. Um, don't like the part about, like, leave your family for me, but whatever. Um, this is what he says. This is C.S. Lewis. He's like, I'm, I'm trying to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on level with the man who said he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him. You can kill him as a demon or... You can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us, nor did he intend to. When it comes to Jesus, it's not like, I, I really like what this guy says. It's, is he Lord and Savior? And if he is, my only true and proper response is to fall at his knees and worship him. That's what he's saying. And so the gospel never leaves us indifferent. A church that is built on Jesus worships in spirit and in truth. That is number one for what a healthy church looks like. Everyone still with me? So what's our role? 
What do we do in this church that's built on Jesus? First Peter continuing. He says, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, chosen by God, precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So this is really cool because Jesus, Peter says, is the living stone. He's the capital S stone. But he says, those of us in the church, we're little stones. And so, come on somebody, he's the foundation. Like he, he is the foundation of the house. But guess what? We're like the walls the paint or the carpet or the wood, whatever you want to see. Jesus is the foundation, but this is really important. We're a part of the house. We're a part of the house. The church, listen, it's not a mystical force. It's not this building. This, this building just houses the church. But the church is a body of believers being built on the foundation that is Jesus. And this is cool because even further, he says again, you are like living stones being built into a spiritual house. Really important the language here. We are the stones being built. We don't build the church. Jesus builds his church. This is really important. For me as a pastor, this is really important. I don't build the church. That's not my role. Jesus builds the church. All of us here in this place, you don't build the church. Jesus does. Why is that good news? Because for some of us that so desperately want certain people in the family, certain people as stones in this place, it's okay. You don't build. Jesus does. But we got a part to play. Again, we're being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So, what does that mean? It means God builds, we offer sacrifices. So some of us is like, well, God builds, I do nothing, yeah. No. God builds, we offer sacrifices. You see, in the Old Testament, because this language here about priests, we're supposed to immediately go back to the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, the job of a priest was really to minister from God to the people. He kind of was there as an, as an intermediate between God and the people. And the cool thing about the priest is that the priest, and, and this was still limited, but the priest was really the only one that actually came close to the presence of God. Still limited because you get too close, you're gone. But when Peter says that we are a priesthood, that's letting us know one thing, which is important, one of, of at least two things. One is that as a priesthood, for us under Jesus, we can come into the presence of God, which is really cool. Jesus is our mediator. We don't have anyone else. I don't need to talk to God on behalf of you. You can talk to him yourself through Jesus. Kind of cool. But the second thing, when it says that we are priests, is that the priests were in charge of the sacrifices. One of the primary roles of a priest was to offer sacrifices. And so when we find out that we are a royal priesthood, a chosen people, that's what, Paul, that's what Peter says a little bit later on, 
what he's letting us know is that we exist to offer sacrifices. That is our role in the church. And what happens a lot of times in North American church is we fall into the consumer mindset. And the consumer mindset is like, this is the platform. This is like literally the altar where the sacrifices are made. And we just watch as the priests do it. That's not New Testament theology. New Testament theology is that all of us offer sacrifices. And that is what a healthy church looks like. A healthy believer in a healthy church worships Jesus as Lord and Savior. Secondly, they exist to offer sacrifices. So, maybe asking yourself, how do I offer a sacrifice? Because, like, we don't have lambs here uh, or doves and, like, I, what, like, do I have to kill something? No. Jesus already did that. And so the sacrifices that we offer are not necessarily physical in nature, although they can be, but they are mostly spiritual. They are spiritual sacrifices, symbolic sacrifices. And you need to get this. If you have been in church, if you come to church and you don't sacrifice, you're not doing it right. And in fact, you'll never get the full thing. You'll always be left wanting more. Why? Because you're a priest. Simple as that. And so, Harrison, practically, how can I offer sacrifices at church? Well, let's start with worship, because I already talked about that. Number one, worship. You can actually offer God to something in worship. One of the things about our hands is that, especially when you read the Old Testament in the Hebrew, there is this constant theme of us giving our hands to God. And so one of the ways we can offer a sacrifice, and I have to do this a lot, is when my heart doesn't feel like worshiping, I give him my hands. That's what I have, and it's a sacrifice of praise. For some of us, you're like, I just, my voice is not good, pastor. Like, I am not a good singer. That's why we try to have the volume up so you can't hear yourself. Because whether you sound like Sid or whether you sound like a squid, you need, <laughs> you guys like that one? You need, regardless, my mouth was made to worship. And so it doesn't really matter if I'm on tune. You, you may not be the one leading worship, but you still need to worship. And so for those of us that would consider ourselves not great singers, guess what? Your song is a bigger sacrifice because you're giving it to God when I don't necessarily feel like it. For some of us, if it's like I'm fine with my mouth, I'm fine with my hands, but like it doesn't really feel like I'm giving anything, super simple, a prayer you can ask when you walk into this place is just saying, God, what do you want from me today? Like what is it you want? And you can let the Holy Spirit actually tell you what he wants you to give today. Because for some of us, it's literally giving up something that we brought into this place. He might say, hey, I need you to give up worry. I need you to give up perfectionism. I need you to give up comparison, whatever it is. And so suddenly, worship now becomes a time where we are sacrificing our praise. Does that make sense? In that same thread, I think church in general can be a sacrifice, especially if our lives are really, really busy. 
Now, I think like if I really dug into it, I would encourage you to, to not build church into your schedule, but like build your schedule around church. Come on, somebody. But if you're really busy, like the weeks where like it seems hardest to get to church, the weeks where I feel the most tired, I want to encourage you, those might be the weeks you need to be at church the most. Because if it feels like a sacrifice, that's okay because God will meet us there. And he can do something with it. And so I'm getting practical. How do we, how do we, how do we offer sacrifices in the context of church? And like our lives, it's a whole other sermon in terms of how to make it a living sacrifice. I'm talking about church today, healthy church. Number two is this, giving. Our money. Jesus says, where your treasure is, your heart is also. And so, if you did not know this, I'm going to let you guys know. We give, and all my MCs, take note for a second. We give to church, to the Lord, not to support the food bank. That's not why we give. We give not to do outreach. That's not why we give. We give not to keep these lights on, pay this rent, pay my salary. That's not why we give. The reason that we give is because it is an act of obedience and worship to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we give. Do we do all the things that I just named? Yes, we do all of those things. And I believe that God instructs us to do all of those things. However, the primary reason that we give is out of obedience and worship to Jesus. And so when it comes to church, if you don't give to the church, you're missing out in terms of what God wants you to do, which is to offer sacrifices. Now, for a lot of us that give, and statistically speaking, uh, like 95% of us that give online, totally fine. And I'm not, I'm not saying don't do it. But if you're at a place where you're like, Harrison, like I do give consistently but like I don't really feel like it's spiritual because like I send e-transfers to him, uh, to, to, to the church, but like I also send e-transfers for Facebook Marketplace. This doesn't feel like spiritual. Totally fine. I would encourage you this, because it's, it's just symbolic and it helps our hearts. I would encourage you, what if you began to bring a physical offering to church? This is like an old school thing. People don't do it anymore, but like the few, you know, there's a few really all seniors that do it at our church every week they bring a physical offering. And I think it helps to put our posture and our heart in the proper posture. They're saying, when I come to church, and you can do it right when you walk in, you're saying, hey, Jesus, this is yours. Here is my sacrifice. And again, it's no different than the e-transfer. I'm just trying to help us symbolically speaking because we need to function as priests. There's a reason that we say, hey, join our team. Serve in this church. We want you to serve because we want you to exist in the forum in which God intends you to exist. As priests, not as patrons, not as people on the sidelines, but as those offering spiritual sacrifices. And the good news is this. When we offer sacrifices, God builds. God builds. So this is good news. Prince, we're going to wrap up. If you're a parent, and maybe your kids aren't where you want them to be, spiritually speaking, and you feel perplexed, like what's going to happen, or maybe you have, you know, a friend or a coworker, 
or people that you love that you so badly want to be a part of the church, but they're not here yet. Here's the great news. All God tells you to do is be faithful, and he builds. Keep offering sacrifices, and he'll build the church. Keep being faithful, and he'll do what we can't do. I love what 1 Peter chapter 2, continuing, he quotes the Old Testament. He says, Scripture says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. This is a promise. When we put our trust in Jesus, when we offer our praise, our hearts, our postures, our money, our time, our talents, when we give it to Jesus, we will never be put to shame. It will never come back empty. Galatians, I don't have it, but Paul says, if we continue to sow, one day we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. So I just want to encourage someone today, listen, it's always worth it to follow Jesus. It's always worth it. We got, we got six weeks of disciplines. They're not easy, but they're always worth it. And the one who trusts in Jesus will never be put to shame. And so as we close, I just want to make this appeal. Can we stand for a second, church? I believe that God is who he says he is. I believe that Jesus died the sinner's death on my behalf in order to bring redemption to all who believe in him. And I believe that his church is the absolute best place to be in. If I want to find hope, if I want to find healing, I want to find salvation, healthy relationships, healthy foundations, healthy spirituality is found in this place. So I just want to encourage us Two things. Number one, if you're looking for a church home and you don't have one yet, my appeal is never that you must come here. I don't believe that. But I do believe that there is a community of people that need you. If it is here, we're going to welcome you open arms. If it's not here, go find that place, plug in, and start being a priest. Start offering sacrifices and see what the Lord does. And so that's my, that's my appeal in the name of the Holy Spirit. If it's this place, man, I want to encourage you. We have some action steps. Fill out a connect card. Come to Growth Track today. We would love to get to know you after service. But my second appeal is this. If you're here today and you've never fully put your trust in Jesus, as I've said in this series, putting your trust in Jesus is a process, it's a journey, but the decision to do it, that just takes a second. That just takes a moment. And so with every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want, I want to make that appear really quickly. If you're here today and you're saying, hey, I just, I need to, I want to, I want to put my trust in Jesus. If that's you today, could you just show me your hand? Thank you. God, Lord, you know every single one of us deeply and intimately. You have numbered the hairs on our head. God, you know exactly what we need. You know what we're struggling with. You know where we need to be. So God, first and foremost, I just thank you for the people that have found a home here at Kingdom Church. 
I thank you for this family that you are building, these stones that you are laying. And so, God, may we be found faithful to serve you, to offer sacrifices of praise and worship. God, I just thank you so much that you sent your son to die for us. So, Lord, for any of us who have not put our faith in Jesus, may this be the moment we put our trust in his name. God, we just thank you for what you do, and I just pray for every message in this series, God, that it penetrates our hearts. And God, I just truly pray for spiritual, emotional, relational, and physical health. We believe that you desire and have it for us. We love you, God. Thank you for what you're doing in the hearts that you are changing in this place. We pray in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Come on, can we clap our hands for Jesus? Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to that message. If you made a decision to follow Jesus or you want more information about our church, head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We would love to get in contact with you. Until next time, take care.